and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who loves it when the US men's and women's national teams beat their CONCACAF rivals. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Uh, I do. Uh, I think it was maybe less expected for one than the other, but I'm good with it overall. It was cumulatively 9-0. Yes. That's what I'm going with. That's, That's what fair. I'm going with. That's so fair. We're going to talk uh, US women's national teams mm-hmm. 8-0 win over Panama later in the show. We're going to lead with the US men's mm. national teams 1-0 win over Costa Rica. Here's why I'm excited, Taylor Rockwell. We played the kids, mostly, Costa Rica played a pretty senior domestic team, yeah. Guzman, Orenia, guys that, guys that we know, guys who've been around the block versus some U.S. guys who've only just got their first look at the block. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. looked good. Yeah, I would say the U.S. looked better. I mean, the United States forced Costa Rica to change what they were doing. Yes. I think right there that shows you that the United States kind of on the front foot going at Costa Rica, causing problems in a way that the United States is used to having done to them. OK, let's talk um, big picture sort sure. of tactical narrative of this game before mm-hmm. we get into player performances and things that we spotted um, what do you mean what do you mean by what you just said the US sort of uh, f- uh, forced Costa Rica to, to change I mean in that we thought we were maybe going to see the United States kind of defending in the flat 4-4-2 that has been problematic when you're going up against a team that tends to have numbers in the middle of the field that's what we thought Costa Rica would have instead it was Costa Rica who tried to come out in that 4-4-2 yeah. the US by the way they set up uh, especially defensively in more of a 4-3-3 yeah. than we've oh, we'll, get, the we'll get into the details of that later that I think it, it necessitated Costa Rica dropping into a 4-5-1 and really kind of parking the bus, keeping numbers yes. behind the ball and not really sending anybody forward. And again, for them to do that with uh, veterans in there and Matarita and Gonzalez in there as well, it, it felt like a, a strong showing from the young yeah, U.S. team. like a tactical victory. Mm-hmm. Right? Brian McBride called this out at halftime on ESPN News, yep. which is where, where we watched this game. Um, and yeah, Costa Rica tried that. Do you think all the other fans showed up on ESPN2? Was that the problem? Is that why all, <laughs> that the is, attendance was so low? Everybody yeah, was you, on ESPN2? Yeah, if you switched, okay. it was full on ESPN2. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so Brian McBride noted that... Um, so, it was a college basketball game with a bunch of U.S. jerseys in the background yeah, looking all, very confused. All very confused. Yeah. yeah. So Costa Rica came out in that mid-block 4-4-2. The U.S. essentially passed and moved and positionally mm-hmm. rotated their way through it, caused all sorts of trouble. We'll talk about how they did that maybe when we get into the details. Then Costa Rica, that bus did get parked, right? It yes. became a 4-5-1, low block, very deep. Um, and I think the thing we're most excited about is that even though that caused the U.S. trouble, mm-hmm. They did switch it up and figure out a way around that as well. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it ends in a 1-0 for the United States. So it's a win against a team that is very much set up to not concede a goal. I think Costa Rica would have been happy with a 0-0 coming out of this one because yeah. it was not their best team. It wasn't their worst team either. Because the it European players were missing. Right. Yeah. But it's still, I think they would have taken it as like, yeah, we're still figuring it out. It's a coach who was appointed Newish in 2019. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so for them to st- change it up, be defensive, and yet the United States was still able to adjust some things, earn a penalty, get the goal, get the win. Yeah, I think it's it's strong signs around, and then everything else that happened within the game has me feeling a bit more positive than I think I felt yep. about the program since maybe this time last year. <laughs> Can we start with the lineup? Mm-hmm. Did the lineup have you feeling positive? When it had you me feeling surprised. All those fresh young names. Yeah, because I think that one thing we tend to see in these January games, and you and I talked about this before we started recording, is that it tends to be kind of a lot of the familiar faces. It's some. Like new uh, players to the squad, but it'll be like the 26-year-old from Major League Soccer who had a good year. 
year last year, and now they're yeah. getting their chance. That's what the January camp has been. But even then, it tends to be the kind of senior players from Major League Soccer who've been in rosters before end up starting. Yeah. And then you get like, okay, this young guy, he got 30 minutes. That's exciting. Ooh, this 18-year-old, he got 15 minutes. And that's the way January, February games tend to be. Instead, this time, we had a lot of teenagers uh, starting or a couple yeah. teenagers starting. We had a lot of debutantes starting. Mm-hmm. And, and it felt like a much more experimental team, which made it more exciting just from the beginning because now you've got youngsters <laughs> in there and we're going to see what happens. Yeah, Yanaz Ferreira, mm-hmm. um, Aronson, Vines, all getting their debut. Vines not a teenager, but he's only 20, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think also, like, because... It's a weird thing, though, because if this had been a March friendly, I think I would have looked at that and been like, really? Like, we're giving kids who, like, like one who hasn't even made a senior professional debut, like, with his current club? Like, that's disconcerting. Oh, yeah, but I think, yeah. Yeah, but I think because it's January, February, and it is this sort of weird camp with a bunch of different players from a d- bunch Olymp- of different areas. With Olympic qualifying a couple of months away. That's why a lot of these U23s were playing. Yeah, I mean, right? like, wor- I think worst case coming out of this was like, yeah, like, they didn't win, but they tried some different stuff, and it was cool. Like, it, it, there, the bar was so low because of what this camp was yeah. that I think for them to come out and look as good as they did, it's, it very much exceeded that bar, but I yep. think it allowed it to be a more fun game than it might have been otherwise. So the two major differences to the usual January friendly there were yep. um, the excitement of like genuinely like hyped up teenagers. Mm-hmm. Teenagers we've been hyped up about, right? Like Yanez yep. and Ferreira. And then they performed. We'll get into individual performances later. But then secondly, I would argue that this team looked a lot more coordinated and like there was a system yep. and a plan than January, February friendlies mm-hmm. usually do. It usually looks more like a scrimmage, like when we draw no nil with Canada it, or it, Iceland yeah. or, or whoever it is. Or it looks like, yeah, we wanted to get the guys some fitness and just kind of have a kick around, build that chemistry. Yeah, yeah like it was a nil-nil game or it was like one nil against uh, the Serbia C team. But that's not what it's about. <laughs> it's about, you know, getting everybody some reps and getting everybody fitness. Yeah. This felt like it was about, no, we want everybody getting on the same page everybody because on point. we are not there yet. Doing the movements, mm-hmm. the positional play, the patterns of play mm-hmm. um do you want to talk about maybe some of the patterns of play we saw or do you want to talk about the the big change which was the u.s defensive setup i want to enthu- talk about the defensive setup the enthusiasm in my voice yeah. if you want to talk about the defensive setup okay we have been on record mm-hmm. we don't like the 442 mid block no it's what costa rica came out with mm-hmm. and we passed our way through it it's what used to happen I mean, to costa us Costa Rica showed why it does not work they right did there. thank yes. you costa rica yeah. and mm-hmm. whereas the u.s went out and this is new for greg Berhalter mm-hmm. um, managing a national team in a 4-3-3 attacking and defensive yep. shape. So when Costa Rica have the ball, like their goalkeeper has it, gives it a centre-back, we are in a 4-3-3, and it worked. It absolutely worked. It did, because you, you then have uh, Jesus Ferreira in the middle that he's sort of blocking off that immediate option. Yep. You've got the wide players who are sort of there threatening if you want to play to one of your fullbacks, or if Costa yeah. Rica had been in a back five, it would have been their centre-backs, but either way, those are kind of blocked off. And and I, they, I want to stop you there, right there, because that's mm-hmm. the most important thing, because when it was a front two that we were yeah. trying to defend with, it was too easy to yeah. play it wide. Mm-hmm. When it's a three, one guy in the middle can block the middle, and you've got a guy either side mm-hmm. to block the wide option. Yeah, and then as the United Mass. States... Yeah, Mass. Maths, I believe, for the Nats. <laughs> Thank you for your people. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later when it like flipped around and the United States tried to build out of the back. But oftentimes you'll have – like say you're going to play it short to your right back. You, if you are a good team that has practiced a bunch, have then like right, – it goes to the right back. Right back plays it to the number six. Number six plays it to the number eight. Number eight plays it wide to the right midfielder. And now you've got this kind of pattern that you can build around that you yeah. can easily navigate the pressure. But because the United States not only had that front three that was spread wide when they were defensive, but then the midfield three, which was much more narrow, which is what you want, but still they stepped forward. So even that kind of second wave of potential outlets for Costa Rica were blocked off or marked. Yep. So it, when that ball would go short, it's sort of everybody is marked off – 
it forces them long. And then the United States did a phenomenal job of making sure they won that long ball aggressively Zimmerman or at least caused problems. and Long ate mm-hmm. everything that went yep. long. Even when we win the penalty, um, I believe it's because Costa Rica go long from a goal kick and mm-hmm. Zimmerman just like smashes whoever he's He closes like 20 yards to yeah, win that header. It's impressive. That header. So that 4-3-3 defensive shape we talked about yep. with um, sort of three up top and then a central three clogging the middle – I want to say this carefully so I don't get too carried away, but it looked a bit like what Liverpool do under Klopp. No, it definitely When did. they're yeah. defending, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying it's as effective. Virgil van Dijk isn't at the back, like, cleaning things nah. up. Um, but f- that 4-3-3, I think, is it might become the way that teams defend because Liverpool under Klopp are sort of setting the standard of, like, here's a thing that really works. Mm-hmm. By the way, we haven't lost in the league all season. This might be filtering down and people taking notice, and then teams like the US are like... Huh. I know you I'll give that a go. You said a lot of words there. What I heard was Walker Zimmerman is better than Virgil van Dijk, I believe is what you're saying. <laughs> That's what you're getting at, right? That's the thesis of this? I mean, if you want value for money, <laughs> still no. Yeah, not, <laughs> not quite. But it was because you have that sort of the, the, the tight midfield that's going to kind of like cause problems, but you wouldn't think of as being this destroyer midfield. They're going to knock everybody off the ball, but yeah. they just keep the, their positional play. They move in relation to each other in a coordinated, intelligent, dare I say, practiced way. Yes. But then you've got the front three that can run people down, will run people down, will be aggressive in closing that space and causing problems for the defense and not really giving them time yep. to pick out the passes that they want to pick out. I'm going to be praising Jesus Ferreira mm-hmm. a lot today because yeah. um, I think he earned it. I think he had a really, really good I mean, performance. This is a player who we weren't sure would be able to play in this game because we weren't sure if he would get his clearance. Like, yes. like we, we didn't know he would even be in the squad. I didn't even think he would start. I didn't think he would play very much, if at all. And yet here we are talking about a, a you, player who played a lot. You just reverse jinxed it to make sure that he sure. would play. So I have a lot to say about his attacking mm-hmm. movement and his ball control and all kinds of stuff, but his defensive awareness yep. and smarts yep. For a teenager especially, I was really, really, really impressed because that whole system doesn't work unless you have a guy who knows how to cut off angles and communicate to teammates how to work together to cut off angles. And I saw Ferreira doing that to experienced Costa Ricans. It it is a problem with the United States, or has been a problem, that I don't think whoever has been that number nine, whoever has been that central striker or attacker for the United States, part of it has been because it's been a front two and that makes cutting off angles difficult. But I think the U.S. really doesn't do well at once the ball is played to one side of the field, kind of blocking off one of those center backs, blocking off the middle so that you can't just continue to swing the ball around. Yeah. And Jesus Ferreira would immediately take up that position. So if it went to the left center back, he stands in between them. Now it cannot go to the right center back. You have to chip it over top of him to get to the right back, which you're probably not going to do. So by doing that, you've effectively cut off half the field. And it's very basic if you can get yourself into the right spot. But it's a thing that the United States really haven't prioritized. And it felt like that was something that they really focused on intensely. And you could see the results of, again, Costa Rica really not having much success or fluidity in the way they built out. So because we didn't let them build out, um, I want to skip straight to the goal sure. and the winning of the penalty kick. Because I think it's good to like give mm-hmm. people a, a thing that they've seen and remember yeah. and try and work backwards and explain it, right? I would argue that because they couldn't build out, that's why they ended up going long on goal kicks. Mm-hmm. And again, Zimmerman won it in the air, right? And that ball goes, what? Once he wins the header... We get the classic Paul Ariola mm-hmm. hustle, hustle, hustle yeah. to make sure that a 50-50 ball becomes a Paul Ariola ball. This game was a very <laughs> good representation of Paul Ariola. That okay. he's 
going to work really, really hard. He is going to scrap for everything. He will win some balls that he probably doesn't have any business winning, and he will make some good tight passes, some smart control, but then also will miss some chances, miscontrol a few, and look just a little bit limited at times. But in I this always sequence, forgive him for the, because mm-hmm. the hustle makes it fun. Yeah, but yeah. in this one, to be able to like chase that ball down, because it is just Zimmerman winning it aggressively to put it back and on Costa Rica. It forward, basically, yeah, right? but then it's Ariola tracks it down, holds onto it, settles it, but then allows time for other uh, U.S. players to get involved including yeah. Jesus Ferrer, who he then pings that ball at he uh, does. towards the top of the 18. Ferrer, to his credit, kills it dead, brings it down, and really keeps this play moving. And it wasn't the first time Ferrer Mm-mm. did that. There was another moment where he just pulls a ball down like yep. there's glue on his shoes. I feel like the ref should have checked his cleats afterwards <laughs> for, uh, for for glue. Um, so he, he brings it down. He gives it to Leggett. Is it Leggett? I wonder then? if they do check you for glue now that you've mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> they check for like metal studs and earrings. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the thing they're looking for. <laughs> Is it um, Leggett then plays it uh, back into Areola? To Le- uh, yeah, Leggett. Yeah, it's it's Ferrer back to Legette, Legette into Ariola, Ariola with like a like reverse in step pass for Reggie Cannon. And I think the important part here is the late arrival of Reggie Cannon. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think Reggie Cannon's got really good at one providing width, which is part of the positional play mm-hmm. Berhalter system. Fullbacks provide width so that the um, wingers like Ariola and Giannis can come inside. It's pretty much what happens here, right? Cannon gets beyond Ariola, um, but in the penalty area, mm-hmm. and then Ariola puts that nice little disguise on the pass. He does. But the reason he is able to do that is because of the run that Reggie Cannon has made. And this was another good example, and we'll probably talk about this a couple times in this show, of the United States. Like, you didn't see the wheels turning. You didn't see the, like, oh, right, I'm supposed to make that run yeah. as Ariel is sitting there, like, I have no options here. Because that is a thing that we've seen from the United States. Is like, oh, the player holds up, and it's like two Mississippi, and then that pass comes off. And yeah. here, as Legette is shaping to play the ball into Paul Ariola, who's now in the box and has found a little bit of space, as Legette is hitting that, Cannon is already running. Like Cannon has like recognized the situation and the vulnerability of Costa Rica, so that when the ba- the ball gets to um, to Ariola and he kind of settles it, Cannon is already in that overlapping position where Ariola knows exactly what's happening, plays it in perfectly. Costa Rica then have to scramble, and that's where the penalty comes in. And who's the? I've forgotten the name of the player. He's the Nashville Leal. guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So sorry, Nashville fans. <laughs> Your first look at Leal. Then I hyped him up, and then within <laughs> I think he came on at halftime, and within five minutes, already conceded a penalty. Clattering into yeah. Reggie Cannon and conceded mm-hmm. a penalty. Kick. Yeah. Oh. Um, so yeah, I think one one of the things I'd like to point out about this um, this this move that wins the penalty mm-hmm. kick is it reminded me a little bit of the the goals we scored against Canada in November. Yep where there wasn't the, like you said put your foot on the ball one Mississippi two Mississippi mm-hmm. overthinking it I feel like everything's um, becoming habitual if that's yeah. the right word enough that it can happen quickly and so it can look like fast almost counter-attacking moves that can put opposition to the sword yeah um, and since they're playing uh, through lines of uh, defensive pressure can we say that they're habitual line steppers we absolutely can <laughs> which is also what Charlie Murphy called uh Rick James in, <laughs> in the Dave Chappelle episode. Um, but it's, it's funny now I remember the reference. I, I do. <laughs> so uh, can, no, can I tell you my other favorite part of this uh, sequence that leads to the penalty? Please it's do. After the, it's after the penalty is awarded. Um, Cannon is down. I think it's Aronson like runs over to congratulate him and like help him, like, but you know, help yeah. pick him up. And then it looks like Ulianez is running over there as well to help yeah, with yeah. that. That is not what's happening. Ulianez is running to the ball boy to demand the ball. Yep. The ball boy, I think, doesn't hear it in time and throws it back over the goal. Yep. Ulianez runs around and makes sure he gets that ball because Ulianez is taking that penalty. He wants that penalty. Yes, he kick. does. All right, he dispatches <laughs> yeah, that penalty kick. Mm. It is absolutely wonderful, right? So he starts straight. Few steps to the left, yep. a curved run up, and then I want to say instep, yep. really hard and low mm-hmm. into the bottom right corner. It's uh, it reminded me a little bit of like you know when we talked about it in the women's World Cup, Megan Rapinoe would just pick her spot yep. and 
accurately and powerfully put it there. There's no stopping a penalty like that. Mm-mm. That's what Uli Yanez did. I agree. But I also think that if you are going to put a little disguise on your run-up, this is the way to do it. I don't always love that, but I think to do the sort of, like as you said, the kind of hop to the left. Yeah. I think As long as it isn't hop in the run-up, yeah. I was okay. I it's, was really worried we were going to say a, that. It's an electric slide slide to the left uh, <laughs> is what he does. But I think it makes the goalkeeper automatically think like, oh, he's going to, I don't know why, but it, it seems to indicate like, oh, he's sliding over that way. That's the side he's going to put the ball to he's going to come back around and kind of get the hips around it and put it oh, uh, to my dives right. that way right? he does yeah. and I think that's the other aspect of this that I really enjoyed is not only does Uliana's bury this on the bottom corner you can hear the thwack when it hits the he net can. which is always a good sign like he hits the mic but he still said that might be what it is but he still sends the goalkeeper the wrong way you can't fault him for that either cannot Mm-mm. and then in the press conference afterwards Greg Berhalter was asked um was Uliana's the designated penalty taker <laughs> or do you guys not have a system and from from memory Berhalter sort of said we don't really have a designated penalty taker, but now I think of it, mm-hmm. Ariola's been taking them all month in practice. Mm-hmm. But Yanez just yeah. stepped up and wanted. He talked about confidence, right? He yeah. just talked about the confidence of Uli Yanez just taking that ball and wanting it. There was no argument with Ariola, right? Mm-hmm. This wasn't like them wrestling for the ball. No. Um, it seemed like Ariola was like, yeah, go for it, kid. Yeah. And, and he didn't even say, don't get cocky. He did not. <laughs> I want to say it was a good answer from Greg Berhalter because I think he, he started to say, no, we don't have a designated penalty taker. Then he, I think, remembered that probably Paul Ariola was like taking them routinely. I'm going to assume he like stayed after and took penalties. Mm-hmm. So he remembered that, then did a good job to say, but you know, Paul got behind uh, Uli. He wanted him to like get the goal or whatever. Yeah. They celebrated afterwards. So all that was, was good work by Greg Berhalter. In a press conference, <laughs> <laughs> that I found kind of fascinating. We haven't really? talked about this so much, but right. do you know, uh, you've watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? Of course. I, I don't know if you're all the way through, but I'm assuming you've seen no, enough. I'm, that, I'm watching like, it in spots, basically. Do you know when, like, how they kind of slowly, Jake especially, learns to read the captain and so he can see, like, the little tiny nuances on his face because yeah. otherwise he doesn't give anything away? Mm-hmm. Burhalter is kind of like that in that he was still <laughs> very, like, you know, calm and composed and, uh-huh. and did a lot of furrow brow as he was answering those questions. But little moments like – I think he said three or four times, that's a good question. That's a smart question. That's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't usually do that. And I feel like the more nice things he says about the questions as opposed to just straight up disagreeing with them makes me think that maybe he was pretty pleased by the way this yeah. all went down. But is it more just like he's happy to answer questions after a win? That's what I'm saying. But yeah. like I enjoy that he still has that like Greg Berhalter focus and yeah, it was a good game. It was good stuff. But just those oh, little, those little yeah, things yeah. that are added in there make me feel like, yeah, he, it was inside he was bouncing up and down. I think. <laughs> All right, so uh, to please Greg Berhalter, mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the positional play. Because right. we did see, um, I'd say, uh, this really well executed, um, for the most part, um, Greg Berhalter's system, which we've been saying is all about patterns of play, uh, moving positions, and opening up space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first one I want to talk about is maybe the, uh, the Paul Ariola chance in the 14th minute. Yep. If, you, if you're scrolling back on your DVR. As I'm um, sure everyone is. But this is the one where Ferreira slips in Ariola. Ariola yep. shoots low, and Alvarado, the goalkeeper, um, gets a save. It's not a great take from Ariola. No. Again, it is, definitive Ariola game. But this is one of those things where it's like everybody in the US like moves their position a little bit and unsettles Costa Rica. Yep. This is Greg Berhalter's dream move, right? And I want to say it starts with a thing we've seen a lot in the history of the United States mm-hmm. men's national team. The number six, Jackson Yule, comes and sits between the two centre-backs, yep. right? We've seen this in the past under non-Berhalter teams, and I think it kind of ends there. The number six just sits between yeah, the two centre-backs. Yeah, can I, can I I feel like we've seen them, like, like he comes and 
drops in, yeah. which is to me different than sitting in. That's, yes. That right there is the difference. That instead of dropping he comes in. comes to visit. He's, yeah. he's come for a cup of tea. Yeah. Instead of sitting in <laughs> and then the center backs go wide and it's sort of is like, okay, now we're in a back three. Yeah. He drops in, is there for a moment, but then moves away to kind of bypass the front two from Costa Rica. He gets the ball back and now. No, you're actually, you're actually thinking of a different moment, but that moment was great too. I'm thinking of the moment Yule drops in mm-hmm. and then uh, Jesus Ferreira comes and drops uh, yeah, into yeah, 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 yeah. Yule's gotcha, space. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Everybody sort of moves mm-hmm. one and suddenly this is a thing where uh, Guzman and the other central midfielder Tejada mm-hmm. don't know who nope. they're supposed to be with I think Lasseter the left mid ends mm-hmm. up being pulled inside to mark um, yeah, Aronson because yep. Guzman's left him to be occupied right. by Jesus Ferreira mm-hmm. um, and then we're able to uh, switch it out to Reggie Cannon who's wide open and then Cannon can fire it into Ferreira and then Areola's run beyond Ferreira right. it's got all the Berhalter things mm-hmm. right especially the centre forward coming deep and the right winger running in behind him right. and it creates a chance and if Paul Areola could finish this would have been <laughs> the perfect Greg Berhalter movie. It, absolu- right? it absolutely would have and and within that it's so there's moments that we haven't yet seen from the United States in terms of that fluidity of possession and how they're able to advance yeah. the ball very quickly but then also individual moments and individual positioning Ferreira, for his part, kept finding that kind of space between the back line, the the back four and the midfield four, so that somebody always would either try to cover him or drop in a little bit more. One of the center backs would maybe cheat out a little bit, although that was rarer. And more often than not is that nobody did. So then Ferreira would have a couple yards of space. Or if he didn't, he would then vacate that space. Somebody else would fill it or he would move around. And just those those little checks and that little bit of awareness, that little bit of extra awareness, I should say, is a massive difference. He's a shoulder checker. Jesus Ferreira is a shoulder checker. Yep. That's why he kept exploiting that space between their defense and their midfield consistently mm-hmm. for the first half an hour. And then he's got those nice soft feet. And because he's checked his shoulders, he knows where everybody is. He can connect play really well. When I was hyping up Ferreira in the preview and when we sort of saw the roster first announced, mm-hmm. this is exactly the game I wanted. Yep. I might have added a goal on top, yep. uh, but this was the game I wanted because I think he's a fit for what Berhalter asks a striker to do. I agree. And I and I don't want to go so far as to say, like, that's it. This is our new, this is our new number nine for sure. This is the U23's number yeah. nine for March. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. But I do think that one of my areas of major concern has been the, the, the main striker, the number nine for the United States. Because yeah. it, we think if everybody were fit, it would be Josie Altidore. But we don't really know when he's going to be fit or if yeah. he'll be fit. Um, so then it defaults to Giassi Zardes or Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent is obviously not in a great run of form. We've spoken at length about Giassi Zardes. But it just it has felt sort of uninspiring there. Yeah. And I'm not again, I'm not saying that Jesus Ferreira is an ally. He's going to come in and he's going to be in that squad all the time. But knowing that there is this youngster who's coming through that could do that job and has done that job just the like a little bit more depth as we go and a little bit more variety in the attack and a little bit more more opportunities all of that yep. just makes me feel a little bit better same yeah and i think there's I think there's as, as much reason to be excited about Ferreira mm-hmm. as there is to be excited about Sargent. Yep. But I think because Sargent's in the Bundesliga, mm-hmm. there's a lot more like, oh, he's a Bundesliga player. We should. This is the guy. Ferreira's been off the radar because he didn't actually become a U.S. citizen until right. middle of December 2019. He didn't fully commit to, I'm definitely playing for the U.S. and not Colombia until, I want to say, last Monday. Like this camp. <laughs> Based yeah. on an Ives Gossip story. Yep. Then they got the paperwork done just in time to get him in this game. And I quite like that he's somehow avoided most of the hype because no one was quite sure if he was going to actually mm-hmm. play for the US or even if he could. And now here he is. And also because Ulianas is in there and he is like the hyped 
player. Yes. And so I think when you've got this one player that everybody's really, really focused on, mm-hmm. even if, like even though there's Jesus Ferrer, who's a very exciting player, it's just all the hype's going to go towards Uli Yanez, so Ferrer maybe flies under the radar yep. even a little bit more. Should we talk Uli Yanez? Sure. Because I think that there was spotlight on uh, Uli Yanez. Mm-hmm. Um, he did score the penalty he kick. Did. I think it's essentially a successful, I was going to say evening, a successful afternoon for Uli Yanez. Um, but I also saw some of the stuff that we think he still needs to work on mixed in with yeah. the really exciting stuff that he brings to the U.S. men's national team. Yeah. I think it was a really, in a weird way, mi- exciting and promising but mixed performance from Yanez on the left wing. Yeah, this is a performance that made me really excited for what Ulianez is going to bring to the national team, but made me more excited that he will have uh, time with Wolfsburg to continu- continue to develop his game. Because yes. to your point, there were sequences when he would do very good things, but then maybe try a little bit too much. He would try a shot when it wasn't really on, or he would make a pass that was like, it's a good pass, but then you yeah. look at it again and you think like, ooh, but there was also that player wide over to the back post who he could have played that ball to. I want to focus on what happened in the eighth minute. So okay. in the mm-hmm. eighth minute, I think this was the first time people watching for Ulysses Giannis would have been like, oh, yeah, it's this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's the turn, right? It's yep. the, the quick like drag back it's, uh, spin yeah, turn. What would you call turn, it? Yeah. Pull back turn mm-hmm. um, that opens up a bit of space and then he slips a ball in that Ferreira's not quite on the end of, right? Mm-hmm. So the pullback turn is incredible. Yep. It falls about two or three Costa Ricans. Yeah. It's the type of thing that we don't often have on the U.S. men's national team, right? Clint Dempsey could do that kind of thing. We yeah. don't have many of these types of players. Clint right? Dempsey would That's think, why Giannis think is to do that thing. We don't have players that think to do that in that moment. Yes. I mean, it's a simple pullback. It's, it's the same thing as like the most effective move you can use is the cut. Like going at full speed and cutting back works almost every single time. Yeah. But knowing when to do it in the moment, knowing when to do that, just that little pullback is not a thing that we have a lot of players who will do in the moment. So it genuinely is worth celebrating yeah. the fact that we have a player that has the technique and the confidence yeah. and, the, and the idea to do that. But previous to that, mm-hmm. Ulysses Yanez tries to play the ball down the line to Sam Vines. Yep. And it's not a well-hit pass. I don't think it would have been a good ball for Vines. It would have been too far ahead of him. Agreed. And it actually goes directly into a Costa Rican player. Also agreed. Ball bounces back to him. Mm-hmm. All right, so he kind of gets away with it. Yep. Then the magic turn, right? Mm-hmm. Which again, brilliant. Love it. Absolutely love it. But then Jesus Ferreira um, has come, come short, found a little pocket of space because he was so good at doing that. And he's on. He's mm-hmm. absolutely on for a quick one-two. You could see Ferreira wants the ball to feet and he wants Yanez to run in behind. Mm-hmm. Give me a one-two. Let's go. Let's go. Instead, Yanez wants to uh, play Ferreira in and dribble a little bit more and play Ferreira in, which isn't really on. Um, so he plays the ball anyway, but Ferreira, he's late getting to it well, because it, that wasn't the move. Yeah, because he's, he's shaped for the wall pass. And yes. now suddenly he's being asked to make a darting, sprinting run in at full speed. Yeah. And because he has stopped to shape for that wall pass, he, by definition, is a wall and not at full speed. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's one of those moments where mm-hmm. it looks like Giannis has done something magical and perfect, mm-hmm. but he's actually like, Made a couple of mistakes. Yeah, there, right? there's that one. And then if you don't mind me fast forwarding to the 59th minute when uh, yeah. Sebastian Legette has the chance that he, he hits wide. And we were, as we were watching this, we were both sort of frustrated by the finish from Legette. Right, because this is a ball where it's like Giannis to Ferreira to Giannis. And Giannis has a clever little pass to yeah. Legette. Mm-hmm. Creates a chance for Legette to shoot from an angle. Yeah. That we, we were like, oh, brilliant. These teenagers have combined to yeah. set up Legette for a chance. And Legette's mad. He, he He's pops yelling up at and them. like gestures like like play me the ball. And we were like, yeah. what? Does he want it better? Does like he wanted to get off his lawn. Yeah. What is this about? <laughs> and, but then we went back and 
to try to figure out why Sebastian Legette is gesturing like play me the ball when they did in fact play him the ball. Yeah. And you look at the break that leads to this chance and it is Uliana's driving at the defense, but it is Sebastian Legette on his left who is wide open. And if Uliana's plays that ball to the left, yep. Legette is there to either shoot or more likely hit it directly across to Paul Ariola, who's then wide open yep. at the back post. But instead Uliana's looks for uh, Ferreira who's in the middle who is open, but he has his back to goal. He's open but with th- like two exactly. or three players on his back exactly. whereas I think the right back I think it was Fuller um, had been drawn mm-hmm. into Yanez and Legette had exploited the space behind yep. it, that ball was absolutely on Yanez mm-hmm. made the wrong choice he, did. he made the wrong choice I think this is a really good example of um, exciting teenagers who want to do fun tricks and flicks versus the o- older pro who knows just play the right ball at the right time and we're in on goal yeah it's, it's the going way this way is back. the don't get cocky moment yeah, yeah. It, it goes way back to Ronaldo first going to Manchester United and he would do the step over, step over, step over and Ferguson would scream at him because it's just like, we don't need you to do 14 step overs. Yes. I need you to do something after you do the step over. <laughs> and that's what I mean when I say I, I would expect Ulianez and Ferreira to continue to develop that game. And so you, you'll still see those tricks. That's going to be part of Ulianez's game and it's a thing that makes him really exciting. But I think those will be kind of counterbalanced by quick, incisive passing when the situation is on. Yeah. And I think the more you play, especially for a Bundesliga team of Wolfsburg's status, the more that is going to be kind of drilled into you of yeah. do the move when it's on, but play the pass when it's on. So yeah, so again, we see a lot that we love yep. from UC Janez. My prediction is even though a lot of people will have been wowed by him, mm-hmm. he's not going to suddenly be a US men's national team first team no. regular based on this performance because possessions are going to break down because Ulysses Janez makes the wrong choice. I'm pretty sure he'll make the U23 roster now. Mm-hmm. He may be the starting U23 left winger, or he may be an impact sub off the bench, but hopefully he gets to be involved. But he's another one similar to Ferreira, who now I feel like if we had to, we could we could try Ulianes yeah. in a Nations League game or potentially in a World Cup qualifier I if we had some injuries. I personally feel way more confident about Jesus Ferreira because mm-hmm. I think he maybe makes the smarter choices yeah. and uses his technique more efficiently and sparingly. Yeah. yeah. But I guess we didn't see Ulianes dribble out of bounds or constantly dribble oh, into no, the same no. player or turn into somebody... Like, and then is a th- we should note that, that I didn't see many moments when Yanez tried to turn to go at the defense and just turn directly into a defender who's standing right oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. You didn't see those sort of moments that we have sometimes seen from young players making their debut. Uh-huh. So, again, it just it gives me that little bit of confidence. It's a lot of little bits in it from this one because it's a January slash February friendly, but it still is there. It's still progress in the right direction. Yeah. It's growth in the right direction. It's a diamond in the rough, but not that much rough. Yeah. There we go. Well said. <laughs> now, what about, we, you mentioned him a couple times, what about Sam Vines? Because that's a player who I think Twitter seemed to enjoy quite a bit. I think yeah. because it's been a while since we saw a left back getting forward, getting involved in the attack. And I am kind of inclined to say that that is why Twitter took notice of Sam Vines. But yeah. I'm wondering where your thoughts are on him. So I think Sam Vines played it safe. Mm-hmm. And I think I could have guessed that about Sam Vines based on what we saw um, going in. Uh, we saw for Colorado Rapids mm-hmm. last year, right? Like So defensively, and this isn't what you're asking about, but defensively he does that thing where... He just stands the guy up Mm -hmm. and gets in your way. He rarely even steps to make a tackle. He just constantly, um, he's a bad consumer because he doesn't bite anything, right? He's never stepping into anything. He's constantly just like, all right, I'm not biting, I'm not biting, Mm -hmm. I'm not biting. And that has a role, right? But that, that mindset, I think, is Call reflected. Call it the Chamberlain defense. The Chamberlain just defense. Just like, I'll keep appeasing. I'll keep appeasing. <laughs> kind of. Just, yeah. just, you just can't score a goal, but you can have Czechoslovakia. <laughs> but when that same sort of mindset, I think, is evident when Sam Vines got forward. Mm-hmm. 
he would very often play the very, very safe pass, lateral or backwards. Yes. When like uh, an Anthony Robinson um, or if Serginho Dest was on the left, they'd be driving at that right back. Yep. Um, again, his name is Fuller. So yeah, yep. they'd be driving at him. There were times when... Yanez would lay it wide to him, put him in space, and the the option was to go. Even yeah. I would have gone. I'm a kind of a uh, a conservative player when I get forward. I would have gone at um, that fullback several times, and I think Vines just didn't want to make any mistakes, so he played the safe pass a lot. He did, I think, twice that I can remember try to go at the defender. It, like to your point, it was very much like take a touch wide, cross that ball in. Yeah, he is the one where he kind of lifts it and gets around, but then he literally kicks the ball into his plant foot and falls yes, over. He does, yeah. And the second time, he controls it out of bounds for a goal kick. Yeah. And so those were the two moments when you did sort of see him try a little bit of an attacking play. And I think again, that's where you saw the limitations of Sam Vines. And we didn't see any great crosses either. No. I saw a couple of miss hit crosses, a Mm-mm. couple of crosses that were just um, in a pejorative way. I'd call them MLS crosses, in that they were just float the ball yep. into the box and that's good enough yeah it, you know it, I mean? it was the thing that I got yelled at when I was 11 where I would just dribble head down like down the line and then cross the ball without looking up and then yell who's there because <laughs> nobody was there <laughs> doesn't really work that way but even when there were people there he would just mm-hmm. float it in but it wasn't like aimed at anyone in particular it yeah. was just like hey exactly check mark yeah um, I did a cross so not bad right this is a kid uh, he's yep. what 20 uh, making his senior US men's national team mm-hmm. debut um, very few mistakes but didn't take many risks and I actually thought it was an odd like describing those two things, Ulysses Yanez, who is willing to go at people and maybe takes too many risks and wants to be the star of the show, mm-hmm. it should make sense to pair him with someone more conservative and more, um, you know, just mistake adverse. Mm-hmm. But instead, it felt like a weird imbalance yeah. where you never had two people going at the fullback. Mm-mm. You often had like this guy who's going to do stuff and then this guy who's going to just be not do stuff. And, 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 and like to really like drill down on that for a moment because – what you do want is a, like if you're going to have a player like Sam Bynes who's maybe going to be a little bit more cautious, a little bit more conservative in his approach, you still want them to be able to deliver that final ball just for the simple reason of you don't want Costa Rica to look and think like, yeah, it's fine if he has the ball. You want mm-hmm. them to be like, oh, but he can cross the ball. we got to get somebody out there because if you keep having that overload, eventually they have to adjust and pull people out and that creates space and opportunities through the middle. But if Costa Rica are looking at that uh, opportunity and thinking, eh, it's kind of okay. We can put somebody out there and it's, he's never going to go by. He's never going to dribble at like the heart of our goal. Then you're not really forcing the issue. I think where I, my takeaway is on Sam Vines is I think he'll be fine for Olympic qualifying and I look forward to seeing him there. More if Anthony so, Robinson's unavailable, he'll be fine. Yeah. But th- speaking of him, th- this shape, the reason why I'm so excited about it is because it's been a while since we saw, as I said, two attacking fullbacks mm-hmm. or fullbacks who it allows t- for two attacking fullbacks. And I think it does kind of reincorporate a player like Anthony Robinson, who I wouldn't mind seeing brought in, especially as a more attacking option. So we mentioned that um, Costa Rica, essentially, mm-hmm. after about 25, 30 minutes, parked the bus, got everybody back, four five one, very compact. Yep. And the only solution, essentially, was to work the space out wide, right? Yeah. So we'll give Sam Vines credit that as soon as it was required for him to get forward, for the U.S. to have width on the left and width on the right, mm-hmm. he did time his runs very nicely. He was in the right places at the right times so that the U.S. had that outlet, right? But I want to say that that's not necessarily like a genius move from Sam Vines. I think that's a well-coached yeah. U.S. men's national team. I agree. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's he's doing what he has been asked to do. Yeah. And I think just needs to continue to work work on his ability to execute. And, but I'd also give credit to the entire team. Yep. I may have already said this, but like for not 
when that four five one Costa Rica bunker type mm-hmm. thing happens, not keep trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. uh, where there isn't space to do that thing where you play it into Ferreira between the lines because there's not much space between the lines. They were smart enough to be like, okay, now the space is out there. That's where we're going to try and exploit, mm-hmm. right? And then, but then it results in some so so Sam Vines crossing. True. And then I would <laughs> I would also like encourage people to remember that what we're talking about here, like maybe one of the the negatives, if you want to say that was a negative, I wouldn't even go that far. But like one of the sort of questions that I have coming out of this game, and it was what Paul Tenorio asked Greg Berhalter, was like, were you okay with the way like the U.S. tried to break down a bunkered Costa Rica? Would you have liked to see more aggressiveness, I think, or more directness in the attack? Yeah. And like, I, I understand where that question's coming from, and I hope that's something that they continue to work on. But understand that that's the questions we're asking about this game, whereas six months ago it was, hey, they can't defend at all, and they're dribbling yeah. right through you, and you have no way to even get an attack going. And why are Weston McKenney like, confused and coming to the bench yeah. to ask where they're supposed to be running? Exactly. Right? All, exactly. That, all that stuff is mostly gone. Let's right? it's, weird that, it's weird that it's gone with an almost Quite, entirely new... knocking on wood. <laughs> it's gone with an almost entirely new set of players, yeah. which is a little mm-hmm. weird. Uh, but I would argue that it was there in November in the Canada game, yep. right? So maybe we just have evidence that Berhalter can communicate this to the senior roster mm-hmm. and he can communicate it to a mostly U23 roster. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, All right. And then I think we also saw in this starting 11 one player who I, I think was I was a little hesitant to go with you on like it seems like it is his role right now. But coming out of this game, I understand why Greg Berhalter is really enjoying Jackson Yule. Yes. And I honestly think that this shape sort of allows Jackson Ewell to stay in the starting 11 as that number six. And if they went with this shape again and this approach again, I also wouldn't be surprised to see Jackson Ewell as a six with Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney ahead of him. And I feel like that works and puts them in a good position. And then it puts puts Pulisic out wide, going at defenses and cutting inside and causing problems. That makes me excited as well. That all could be very exciting, right? There was the recent thing uh, where um, uh, Behalter was asked mm-hmm. about uh, Tyler Adams as a central midfielder. And oh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name of the reporter. He, he writes for Yanks Abroad. Um, but he, he mentioned that you've, uh, you've mentioned Tyler Adams as a six. And Behalter was like, not a six. I didn't say six. Yeah, I didn't say six. Yeah, so it could be that he sees Adams as one of those two number eights. In this shape, it absolutely works. Yes. Yeah. He, he, didn't he do that again in, in this press conference? Didn't he clarify something? Or like, I didn't say it was like that. Like, or like, I, there was another one of those moments where it was like, so he'll always be wide. He's like, I didn't say always. Like, it was another little... Well, he refused to commit to yeah. whether Pulisic was going to be used be, wide yeah. or centrally, mm-hmm. which I think is fair because you want the flexibility to use him yeah. one, one place one time and one, one place another time. Center back. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought Jackson Yule was... Um, I, there were no massive standout moments no. that everyone would be super excited about, but I think he did a lot of... Uh, he was one of the root causes mm-hmm. of that front two from Costa Rica being bypassed. He would receive the ball and then like run the other side of them and receive the ball from the centre-backs, or he would split them. Mm-hmm. I saw him coming back and splitting passes between those, advancing the ball to Aronson or to Sebastian Lejet, and away we go. Yeah, and he had the, the diagonals to switch the point of attack. He found some like dime-piece balls onto the feet of like Reggie Cannon or Sam Vines. He had a couple get-stuck-in tackles yeah, he did. that I enjoyed as well. He wasn't scared to get into it physically, but then for the rest of the time just kind of kept the ball moving was tidy, and that's what you want him to be. What do you make of Brendan Aronson's performance? Uh, I would say because of like the standout performances of Ferreira and Ulianas, he's not going to be one that I think a lot of people will talk about. Yeah. But I thought similar to Jackson Ewell was just sort of like, yeah, he was good. He was yeah. fine. Like I, 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 I enjoyed his awareness of the system and his ability to function within it and the way he would uh, – like there was the one I think near the end of the game in the second half at least when the United States set up to take a goal kick short. 
And then it wasn't on Costa Rica. I'd done a good job of blocking options. So then, uh, excuse me, uh, Sean Johnson, not Zach Steffen, Sean Johnson uh, sent everybody forward and then yelled, like, check, and everybody drops in. Yes. And, and Aronson is on that immediately. Like, mm-hmm. he was sprinting fullback to be that option. And just that sort of awareness and that energy is, uh, the is nothing else uh, a thing that I will be happy to continue to see. There were also, um, we knew he could do this, some nicely weighted passes. Yep. Brendan Aronson, a lot of nicely weighted passes and a lot of energy buzzing around. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to have... A, yeah, a pretty good understanding of where he was supposed to be at all times. Um, he didn't get yelled at by Sean Johnson like Sebastian Legette did. Yeah, this is true. And that's so, always a positive. I do want to talk about a couple of negative moments. Sure. This is probably one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the patterns of play coming out of the back where the U.S. has got themselves into trouble, right? right? This is where Zach Steffen and the team got themselves into trouble playing against Mexico in that friendly in, I want to say, August or September after the Gold Cup. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, right? When they essentially gave the ball away a couple of times yeah. playing out of the back. You could see the root of the you problem. You can remove essentially and a couple from that. <laughs> um, so it's Sean Johnson with the ball, and it looked like the pattern of play was supposed to be when um, whoever was marking Jackson Yule steps to Sean Johnson, mm-hmm. Sebastian Legette is supposed to uh, – did I say Sebastian Yule? Um, Jackson, Jackson Yule mm-hmm. um, steps to uh, attack Johnson who's got the mm-hmm. ball. Sebastian Legette is supposed to sprint, be free. I think in trying to clarify, you yeah, made, made it more confusing because right. now you made it sound like Jackson Yule is pressuring Sean Johnson. I'm going to start again. <laughs> That's right. Sean Johnson's got the ball. Uh-huh. He's the goalkeeper. Uh-huh. The ball's at his feet. He's in his own six-yard box. The ball is in play. Right, Jackson Yule, the number six, mm-hmm. um, is marked by. I want to say it was uh, Tahada. Right, let's say it's Tahada. I think it's Tahada. Yeah. Okay, so when Tahada steps away from Yule to Johnson, but still blocking the path to Yule, mm-hmm. um, Sebastian Legette is supposed to break free from his marker, mm-hmm. show for the ball, and then one time pass it to Jackson Yule. Yeah. That looked like the plan, right? Um, but Sebastian Legette, I think one goes too early mm-hmm. because Tahada hasn't left Yule, then stops, and then Guzman gets the other side of him. And Sean Johnson still plays the ball, yeah, and he gets tackled, and uh, yeah. it all goes wrong. And then the reason I th- I'm really confident about what was supposed to happen is that Sean Johnson then yells at Sebastian Legette. Yeah, and Legette doesn't really respond. And, and I say that not because it's like, oh, he knows he's done something wrong, but it, uh, it honestly makes me wonder if he actually was trying to execute it too quickly. Yes. And that he makes he, – he kind of checks too, but because it's not on in that moment, it allows – who is it? Uh, Guz- Guzman was uh, Guzman, on him. Yeah. Uh, that like basically Guzman can close that gap. So I, th- I think what's happening then when the ball is played and Legette isn't checking is that I think he's about to check away and then check back too. I see. But then as he starts to do that, the ball's already played and Guzman can make that read and then Legette is reacting to it. Yep. But like that was one of the moments when I think the kind of rotations and the patterns of play maybe kind of bit the United States a little bit. Yeah, because it is – it can get dangerous yeah. right if teams know what you're doing mm-hmm. or if someone's timing of their movement is a little bit off mm-hmm. it can all go wrong am I, am I wrong in thinking it's kind of like an nfl play in that everybody has to like move at the right time and if someone goes at the wrong time mm-hmm. suddenly it's off right? yeah like and the quarterback's gonna be thrown to a specific spot and the receiver like has already got there and then gone away mm-hmm. and then the cornerback collects it and away we go yeah exactly <laughs> i mean and then the other uh, other variation would be that teams will be able to watch this see how the united states want to build and then uh, if you want to go with the football analogy again, it's essentially knowing the play as it's being called. Yes. So that then it's like, okay, they're going to throw the ball here. I will stand right here and intercept that ball. Here's my hope that I'm going to hold on to yep. is that in a friendly, it's okay mm-hmm. to practice the pattern, which we did against Mexico and nobody liked it. But in when there's points on the line, Sean Johnson will see that Legette has got himself into trouble and just kick it long. Yep. Right? That would be fine. 
That would I'm be hoping that is the nicer uh, balance that we reach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like a balance. I like a balance. All right. Other slight negatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Costa Rica hit the bar. They did. And they did so on a set piece. And it wasn't the only set piece where no. the U.S. looked a little bit vulnerable. They have the one in the, I believe, second half as well when it's uh, flicked on and it's at the back post. And Reggie Cannon is there to kind of block the, the shot. If he's yep. not there, it's That's probably a, corner, a goal. Believe, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was the United States just being a little bit lackadaisical with their marking. Mm-hmm. And then especially for the one where the uh, the crossbar is hit. Yeah, That's it's the 24th minute. That's right? the design so, set piece yep. that they execute almost perfectly. It's just a like an inch too high. Otherwise, that would have been a uh, master set piece theater for sure. So it's Giancarlo Gonzalez, mm-hmm. right? The captain, yep. number three, hits the bar. It's because they, they have a free kick mm-hmm. from deep. I believe Guzman takes you it. You are correct. Um, and I've actually forgotten the exact players, but mm-hmm. I want to say it's... Tejada uh, screening. Tejada screens... Who's there? Uh, no, excuse me. Segura screens, and I think it's Tejada who runs in behind and, okay. and, and wins the header. But he screens... Uh, Lejet. Le, yeah, Lejet, basically. Yep. So and, that, that, and then he's able to get a free header yep. at the far post that he heads across goal. And then Gonzalez um, has got himself free from either Yule or Cannon. I'm not sure who was supposed to have him. Um, I'm hoping it was Cannon because Cannon's taller than Yule. Um, and arrives right like on the yep. edge of the six-yard box and thunders a header um, against the crossbar. It was like a U.S. zonal marking system that fell apart because a couple of really clever screens yeah. or picks, same sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, were set and executed by Costa Rica. Yeah, and, and and you can't really defend against that necessarily because they've they've kind of d- drawn up this play. It's tough to defend against, but what you can do is, is knock the play off a little bit. That if you, yeah. when they run that screen, if you have another player there to sort of uh, bump the runner as they're going through, it just it sends them off their axis. It sends them off the trajectory. It just means that they're not going to be in the exact right place that they have rehearsed time and time again to make this play happen. Any closing thoughts um, on this game? This 1-0 win over Costa Rica with a bunch of U23s. Um, I do have one more thing to say about uh, Ulianas, actually. Okay, yeah. and it's a thing I should have said earlier when we were talking about the penalty. Like For people who are new to soccer or who haven't uh, played it or played it in a game where there was a penalty, you want a player like Ulianas on your team. Right. Because um, we have both been in that scenario when there's a penalty awarded and you're sort of looking around. And I don't know if you've had Someone that moment but like up? when someone says, like, Taylor, take that penalty. I'm just like, dude, I don't want to take that penalty. But you never want to say, I don't want to take that penalty. But yep. you also don't want to be... Similar to on your wedding day, if you're walking down the aisle thinking, like, worst case is we get divorced, you're getting divorced. (laughs) And, like, if you're walking up to the penalty being like, well, maybe I'll make it, like, you're going to miss that penalty. You want the person who is, who is like, give me the ball, I want to take it. Give me the ball, I want to take it. I will, if if he's listening, Mm -hmm. Landon on our team, he often steps up and I'm like, yeah, and smashes it. it. So I just want to emphasize that, like, I. Very much appreciated that from Ulianas. I'm sure there will be times when somebody else would like to take it and feels just that confident, and we'll yeah. leave it to them to work out. But in that moment, I was like, yeah, go on, son. Make that happen. <laughs> I think Landon should get the same hairstyle as Ulianas. I think so, too. I think that'd be good. <laughs> um, okay, so a January-friendly we can feel good about. The yep. next U.S. Men's National Team games will be in March. There's the away friendlies to Wales and the Netherlands, the first big tests overseas. Um, and uh, almost simultaneously, starting a little bit earlier... There's the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying um, in Guadalajara. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, first opponent will be Costa Rica. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll see how that goes. Um, so we won't get into roster discussions now because essentially the truth Rick is – says we're not allowed to. So and, well, the truth go. is no one knows, no. right? Because it's all about persuading teams to let players go for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll give you just one quick example of that without getting too deeply into it. You could theoretically have a U23 Olympic qualifying roster where you go to FC Dallas and say, all right, we want Reggie Cannon, we want Paxton Pomacal, we want Jesus Ferreira, and we want Brandon Savania, who we didn't mention but came on, made his debut, look, look pretty good, mm-hmm. right? There's a chance that FC Dallas are like, that's a lot of our players. Yes. Yeah. 
we, we need some of them yeah, to leave, have a team, please? Leave us some. So there's yeah. going to be a lot of uh, like complicated calculations of who goes to which team. Mm-hmm. Does you end up on the U23s or on the senior roster? There's arguments for both. We will have those discussions um, as March approaches. Do you think we'll see some sort of like, 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 like putting pegs into holes in random ways? Because like say Wiggins say, no, Anthony Robertson can't go for Olympic qualifying, but he can go for like national team duty because it's an international window. Will we see sort of players that are released but maybe would be with the Olympics, like be with the senior team and then it's vice possible. versa? Yeah, some, because some players from the senior team yeah. like Cannon or Yule, mm-hmm. I would imagine, which would imagine would be on a senior roster, might get pulled down yep. and then someone who would have been U23s might get bumped up. Yeah, anything is possible, Taylor. March is going to be weird. I'm really looking forward to like... I know this can't actually happen, but just like the United States, maybe they start qualifying a little bit rough. It's halftime of their second game. Things aren't going well, and they just literally parachute in like Christian Pulisic and Tyler Adams onto the field. <laughs> they just kind of drop down for the second half and d- detach the shoots, and away we go. I like that plan, <laughs> just in case. That could be a way to go. Mm-hmm. So to recap one more time, you should know by now if you've been listening for 45 minutes, the U.S. beat Costa Rica. The U.S. men beat Costa Rica 1-0. We mentioned a 9-0 cumulative U.S. versus CONCACAF score at the Mm -hmm. top of the show. That's because in Olympic qualifying, the U.S. women's national team beat Panama 8-0. That they did. 8-0. We're going to give a sort of – we can't analyze every goal. I'll give my tactical overview of this game, which is that Panama played um, a high line – with a wavy offside trap and just invited the U.S. to get in behind them. I mean, I think you sort of – you said we're not going to talk about every goal. I think you just summarized like six of the eight goals. That's the reason for most of the yep. goals, yeah. I would say um, – Maybe even seven. To be fair, I guess the point of Panama is to leave wide spaces for the U.S. to pass through. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the Panama Canal is pretty narrow. Daryl cracked himself up on that joke. Wow. Oh, that was pretty good. No? <laughs> I mean, you, re- you remember they have a canal. And I did. It. I, well done me. Well, have you ever seen the canal well when a ship me. goes through it? Not really. Real tight. Is it real it's tight? It's real tight space. Okay. Yeah, well, there was a lot more space. Is there more space behind the uh, Panamanian defense? It's roughly the same. <laughs> it was. So we're making jokes because it was yeah. a lot of space. I honestly don't know what Panama was yeah. thinking. Ali Wagner, I think, in the first four minutes was like, Panama are sticking with the high line that they played against Costa Rica. They lost 6-1. And she was sort of like, that's going to be very, I think, like tantalizing uh, to the U.S. national team, and it was, and they exploited it ruthlessly. It was a high line when they weren't as fast as any of the U.S. forwards. Um, they also did not have like a really organized no. offside line. Mm-hmm. They were often like one player's too deep or it's a bit like wobbly. It was too easy to, to, mm-hmm. to exploit, basically. Yeah. And you would also have... Uh, some of those defenders um, I've forgotten her name but the captain um, there's the one goal where she steps out yep. um, I think this is the uh, the second goal steps out and makes space for Lindsay yeah. Horan to run into to yeah. pass into yeah it, it's, it's one thing if you're playing a high line and you've and you've drilled it you've worked on it you're, you've got like everybody stepping at the right time everybody kind of moving together but then also everybody like playing coordinated defense if and when that high line is broken yeah. everybody drops in everybody knows their marks everybody tracks everybody and instead for like what three of the first four goals there's a deflection or a Panamanian player fails to make a clearance, fails to make a clean block. Yeah. There's like the sonnet dummy run that hits the Panamanian player, I think, twice and yet still gets through. Mm-hmm. So it felt like on top of playing a really high line, you then didn't have the defensive discipline you need to be able yeah. to kind of bail yourself out when that high line gets broken. And it occurs to me that there's no point of sitting here and criticizing what the Panama team did. I'm sure they're not sort of well-resourced and certainly not as well-resourced and as deep as the U.S. women's national team. So it's almost, it's almost like with these CONCACAF Olympic qualifiers, mm-hmm. you end up with 
a mismatch of programs and it yeah. makes it really hard for us to analyze it as a competitive game because it really did look like professionals against uh, not professionals. It did. It did. And I think, I mean, to be fair, if Panama sit back and put everybody behind the ball, you would still expect the United States to find a way through and then Panama have to yeah, like, but, try to make something happen. But not so maybe, eight times. Yeah, probably not. Probably mm-hmm. not. But maybe they're just trying to change the game, their game, do something different. But yeah. it was, I think the reason why I'm emphasizing it and being fairly critical is because it didn't really make sense to me why they did it and then they didn't do it particularly well. So then, then it really doesn't it. make sense. Yeah. So I guess maybe the only thing we can do from this, because even though um, uh, Vlatko rotated the lineup, there were mm-hmm. some new players in there, you still really can't judge. We can't say like Andy Sullivan is a better number six than Julie Ertz based on the evidence of this game, right? I mean, and, I would say she's not, but sure. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You can't even take evidence right. from this game because there wasn't enough of a challenge for Andy Sullivan no. at the six to really uh, take much from it. I think what we can do is maybe just enjoy the moments from mm-hmm. the US women's national team and think about uh, like what, what moments did we enjoy? Like, I mean, I will start us off and say, I didn't, when I heard about it, because I didn't watch this live, when I heard about it, I didn't think I would enjoy the Tobin Heath no-look goal mm-hmm. to make it 7-0 because that sounds like showing off. But when you see it, yep. it's actually a really clever no-look goal because she sends the keeper the wrong way with her head yes. shape, opens up the space at the near post, and slots the ball yeah. in there. I mean, yeah. it, it, it does exactly what it's intended to do. It makes it look like she's going to square, so the goalkeeper, goalkeeper tries to take that angle away yeah. and instead opens up the entire goal to for an easy finish from Toby. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what, are the, what are the moments did you enjoy from the well, US I think national team? One, one thing I enjoyed overall, and not necessarily a moment, but an approach, is Vlatko, uh, the head coach, doing some different things. Like we saw okay. Ashlyn Harris start this game. One yeah, of the yeah. criticisms of Jill Ellis was that she never rotated the goalkeeper. It was always Alyssa Nair, which is fine. It gives Nair that experience, but it also gives no one else the experience. True. So if the situation uh, comes when you need a replacement goalkeeper or maybe you want to kind of push to have some competition, you don't really have that. So Ashlyn Harris being here, I felt like was a bit of rotation that we haven't mm-hmm. seen. And then some of the choices in it's the, the 11. the post era, right? Exactly, it's the yeah. new things that we're not used to with the women's national team. But then we know it's going to be a pared down roster. You, you have fewer players to work with at the Olympics. So seeing Ali Krieger play center back for the first half, but then move to fullback and Emily Sonnet going to left back when Abby Dahlkemper comes in. It's, yeah. It seemed sort of like uh, Vlaka was also trying to just sort of figure out like maybe who can do a couple different things yeah. when he's trying to figure out who's going to go with him to Tokyo. I guess thinking of it that way, we saw Lynn Williams in the first game mm-hmm. um, against Haiti play right wing and this game play center forward. I mean, mm-hmm. we kind of knew before that she could do both, but I guess it's Vlatko's job to get yeah. a look at Lynn Williams doing both. I feel weird calling him Vlatko, but it does seem like that's the way we're going here. It does, yeah. Coach Vlatko versus Coach Yeah, we didn't choose Adonofsky. that, but it yeah. seems like what everybody's yeah. gone with, and I guess we're just going to... We, we're just going to be um, we're going to be peer pressured into doing it. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Fine with that. <laughs> um, so you mentioned Sonnet. One mm-hmm. thing I know we both enjoyed was Sonnet's uh, yeah. leave, mm-hmm. uh, where she uh, the ball came in, and I think it ended up ricocheting off a Panamanian twice, defender yes. mm-hmm. twice. But that very nice little leave move mm-hmm. she did to open up. I can't remember who scored the goal. Who did it end up uh, going to? Uh, I mean, the math says that it was Lindsay Horan because okay. that, that seems to be the way those oh, things worked out. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, but yes, that that was a lovely little move from Emily Sonnet, and a better run. Because she is, mm-hmm. she starts wide, and I think once she sees Jess McDonald in acres of space, she knows an overlapping run isn't going to be necessary. So she makes the darting run to the near post, 
takes defenders with her and opens up the space at the back yes. post. Uh, so that was great. Um, I think, as I said, three of the first four goals take a deflection or maybe Panama should have done better. Yeah, like um, a defender and keeper sort of miscommunicate yeah. and run into each other for the first goal, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not ideal there. I would say Rose Lavelle's goal, though, was just a really well-worked goal and just a really smart finish. The keeper's pulled out. I think Lynn Williams, it is Lynn Williams, uh, cuts it back, finds Rose Lavelle. It's a first-time finish, but she's sort of facing the ball as it's coming in and then finishes with the instep, kind of scoops it to the uh, the yeah. far side netting but puts it between two defenders. And that sort of just clinical finishing is what you need from your uh, a player like Rose Lavelle, maybe in a more competitive game. Yeah, I want to say that's the most, it's the hardest finish of the night yeah. because there are a lot of bodies between Lavelle and the goal and mm-hmm. she picks her spot yep. and places it in there perfectly. So it's, yeah, the most impressive finish of the night. Yeah, yeah. I did kind of enjoy um, Jess McDonald smashing it yes. top corner yeah. after Tobin Heath had headed it down. Um, but that wasn't a tough finish because she wasn't under much pressure. She was not, I yeah. guess, maybe a little bit of self-pressure because she has the one of the first half that is sort of a wide-open goal that, post that she, she hits wide, yeah. wide and also maybe over. Yeah. So for her actual goal, you would have thought, like, maybe she'll, like, you, she would have been forgiven if she sort of just went for placement. If she went for finesse over power, yep. and instead she still went for power, but this time she finished. <laughs> so the U.S. are top of the group on no, goal really? difference, but they're level on yeah. points with uh, Costa Rica, mm-hmm. um, who the U.S. will play on, I believe, Monday night. You it's the U.S. versus Costa Rica. We do expect a U.S. win, but it is, again, they have to win to finish top of the group. So at least there's something on the line there in a way that, if I'm honest, I didn't feel like there was against Panama because, again, Bit of a mismatch yes. this game. Yeah. A bit. <laughs> a bit. Um, anything else? It's 8-0, you can uh, say a mismatch. Anything else from this game that you think we that we need to talk about? No, I think I think you you said it correctly, that it's difficult to come away thinking. Like, we saw Becky Sauerbrunn get, like, skinned in one moment in the first five minutes. Yeah. But then, like, that's that's a, uh, an outlier moment versus the rest of the game did yeah. just fine. We're so, not suddenly worried about Becky Sauerbrunn. No, right? and, and so I feel like it's difficult to, like, extrapolate any big takeaways from this one aside from that there are lots of players on the national team who are more than capable of scoring goals. Yeah, certainly are. Yeah. So I guess that's that's the tough thing for Vlaka, yep. right? He's going to start rotating it around. Mm-hmm. I assume he'll rotate again or at least pick a different team to the one that faced Panama for Costa Rica. And then when we get to the, the knockout stages where it really is like win or don't go to the Olympics mm-hmm. at some point, then we'll see uh, Vlatko play his strongest hand, which yes. will, be in, will be interesting to see because what we're doing is learning what we think Vlatko thinks his strongest team is, we right? Are. Uh, I've got a feeling it's going to look very much like Jill Ellis's strongest team, but with just Carly Lloyd instead of Alex Morgan. Yeah, it's possible. It's, it's possible. Very, it's very possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, but we'll find out more um, as the tournament progresses. So once again, Monday night, United States women's national team versus Costa Rica. All right. So there's your, your nine-goal U.S. national team extravaganza um, for the weekend. Uh, lots to be positive mm-hmm. about. Um, Taylor, what's coming up next on the Total Soccer Show? And I'm asking you because I'm taking, what, two days off? Uh, yeah. So we'll be doing, is it just two or is it three? Are you here Wednesday? I guess I'm taking three days. There we go. (laughs) Um, It'll be uh, myself and Ryan Bailey doing the weekend review as is tradition. Yeah. Uh, And then Tuesday, Sam Ty will be making his return appearance to maybe talk a little Champions League. Mostly we're going to be talking uh, the end of the winter transfer, the moves that Sam liked, the moves he didn't like, and everything else in between. He's the perfect guy for that, right? Because he knows a lot about a lot, um, which is the knowledge that you want for January transfer window. You are correct, sir. I certainly am. I certainly am. Uh, One more thing to remind people about, MLS Assist. MLS Assist launched on Friday. 
Joe Lowry, Jordan Angeli uh, with their MLS Assist show. It's all about Major League Soccer tactics. It was a good look at Diego Alonso and what he's likely to do at Inter Miami. The next episode of MLS Assist, we plan to publish it this coming Tuesday. If you're a Major League Soccer fan, uh, then you should be looking forward to uh, Daryl and Taylor getting an MLS Assist (laughs) from Joe and from Jordan. All right, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for watching all this soccer with me and then taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you, or at least Taylor will talk to you again early next week.